Good morning. I had kind of like a prophetic thought. I think I'll just share. Um, my wife, she found this new popcorn that she really likes. It's called Chickaboom. Anybody, any of you ever had that? Chickaboom? It's like one cup is only 35 calories, and it tastes like you wonder how they get such good flavor in such a low-calorie popcorn. Well, Friday night, she realized she had ran out of popcorn. So we had to go to Target to get some. And I was thinking how, you know, the story of the ten virgins where, you know, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And when the oil was running low, those who didn't have any had to rush around and try to get oil. I just want to encourage you today that you're in the place where there is oil for you. If you feel drained and just depleted and you just hardly know even what to do, or maybe you're even here today and you're thinking, I got to get out. I have so many things to do. Will you just relax today? God wants to pour in the oil of his Holy Spirit. It is here in this store where we gather together, where the activity of the Holy Spirit pours in the wine and the oil of his Holy Spirit that refreshes us and fills us to overflowing. We're in a world of distractions and discouragement. We're in a world of problems. But it's here in the house of God that together collectively we bring the presence of God and together there's a magnification of his presence where we can sit and drink and, and just be filled. So right now, just, just, let's just close in with God and whatever's on your heart, let's just surrender it to him. Lord, we come to you. We come to your storehouse today to be fed by you, to be filled to overflowing by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we call upon you and we ask you to fill and refresh us. We ask that you would restore us. We ask that you would lift off discouragement, lift off hopelessness, lift off anything that is coming against our faith and coming to discourage us. God, you know how easy it is for us to get underneath the weather. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can call upon you, that we are going to leave here differently today because you're coming to fill and refresh us. Lord, you're coming to pour in of your Holy Spirit into the deep places of our spirit. You're coming to restore and renew our soul. You're coming to give us new insight about the things that we face. You're coming to encourage us about life because we are not left alone. And we thank you, Father, that you call us to follow you. God bless us today in Jesus' name. My title of my message today is, Do You Know More About Your God-Given Inheritance? Since we've been talking about inheritance probably for about six or eight weeks, I'm hoping you've been seeing different aspects of what your inheritance is in God, and you're getting a greater understanding of how that inheritance is working for you in your life. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago, I gave you Psalms 16, 5, and 5 through 6. And it says, O oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. So God is the, our greatest inheritance. And because of our uh, inheritance in him, so many areas are covered. And there's so much blessing. And there's so many things to look forward to because he is our greatest inheritance. Because he fills a place that nothing can fill. I want to give you uh, Psalms 2, 7, and 8 today. People, the nations are God's inheritance. This is a prophetic psalm, and Jesus says in this psalm, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He, God, said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
So it's interesting that God wants more people. His inheritance is us. Uh, the nations, um, in, in some translations, it says the heathen, but really it means nations. It means non-Gentile people. He want, I mean, non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. So God wants everyone in his family. And when you think when we are restored to God through Jesus Christ, we begin to fulfill something so deep in God's heart that we are his inheritance. And what happens? We begin to take on a whole new mindset, a whole new purpose, and a whole new reason for living. We take on his inheritance. And especially since we've been talking about the E last week, about extend, we find ourselves in this place of uh, being used by God to extend the invitation to more people to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and to experience, like we are, a growing manifestation of that inheritance and what it means uh, naturally and spiritually for us as believers. Again, John three sixteen and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through himself. Matthew 28, 18-20. Again, we get the opportunity to read Jesus' will to a people that are around us, to the nations of the world, to whoever God sends us. We get to tell people about their inheritance. We get to read the will of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel, about what they have in Him and what they can believe and receive and encourage them in following and knowing what that inheritance is per personally. And so Jesus commissioned in Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Jesus came and said, all authority, that's all inheritance, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, that commission to extend. Um, sometimes we don't always feel like extending or being open or interacting with people. But God shakes us out of that place in our will that become discouraged and passive or uh, can be inactive. And God initiates an excitement from us, but it's from our spirit, and it's connected with inheritance. It's connected with God on the move. It's connected with believing God for the impossible. It, it's including more and people into the kingdom of God. Proverbs twenty four eleven kind of echoes the same thing. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. You know, last week in our... Uh, one of the verses I gave was Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until our soul and our body experience the full redemption when Jesus comes back. Can you imagine our soul being so free, all we are ever going to be is happy and joyful We'll never feel negative. We'll never feel discouragement again. We'll never feel loss and grief. We'll never feel oppression again. We'll never hurt in our bodies anymore. And that is what's going to happen. But we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that that day is coming when we are going to experience total liberty from anything that would take away our, our, our feelings of joy and encouragement through Jesus Christ. So right now we have that guarantee, that, that, that thing that's been given to us. 
let's just let's just let's just ask God to to kind of uh, breathe on that right now. Lord, since we already have the guarantee of your Holy Spirit, since we've already been sealed with your Holy Spirit, I pray for just infusion into our own soul about that guarantee. Let us sense that guarantee today. Let us sense even the promises and some of the things that you've spoken to us in the past and even remind us of some of those good spiritual experiences we had and even some of those feelings. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. How awesome to be able to draw on the Lord. I've been talking also a few weeks, last weeks, about trials and testing. Anybody been going through any trials and testings? Any siftings? You're not alone. We're all going through them. Psalm 7, 9. The righteous God tests the hearts and minds, our soul. Our heart. Again, what's going on sometimes in our five senses, in, in our emotions, and what we're dealing with naturally or, or even sensing spiritually, there's, there's an activity going on in our heart. God is looking at our heart. It's probably the most important part of who we are because our heart, our spirit, are connected with God. And through that is the avenue of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And a deep faith is deposited in us. And so our spirit is what comes under attack by all the things that come through our mind, will, and emotions. All the things that come against our senses are to get at our heart and to discourage us. Or if we're going through testing and trial, or we've been talking about Peter in uh, Luke, I think it's twenty-two thirty-one, where Satan desired to sift him as wheat, that... Uh, we began to get shaky. And I think of Peter, he began to get shaky when he went through testing and trial. I mean, obviously he had produced some, really some good righteous living and some good activity of the Holy Spirit. Some good authority was being used in his life to touch lost people, to bring healings and miracles. And now God saw things in his heart and Jesus allowed him to be sifted by the enemy. And so I think for us in our day and age, when we get sifted, when we go from places of of spiritual confidence and maybe even a little bit of religious routine, when we begin to be sifted, when we begin to be tested and tried, God's really uh, desiring to purify our hearts or to bring up anything that's been beginning to just kind of clog up. If you ever walk San Benito Street or drive through there, you know around Year-round, those trees are dropping leaves. It is worse in fall. It looks like the street is uh, brown leaves. It looks like people's lawns are brown leaves. There's a, there's a little old lady. I see her probably three times a week, and she's frail and skinny. She looks like she might be in her 90s, but she's out there, and she's raking her leaves. She's removing the clogs. And some people, they said, you know what? You could tell. Forget it. Why, why rake these leaves? Why rake these leaves? They're going to be back there again. That's what happens in our heart. Our hearts get clogged up and we've got to continually expose them and let the Holy Spirit rake out the, the things that uh, so easily cause us to sin. I mean, your word right today, uh, um, Donna, was incredible. See, Vani, I forget too. But God wants to purify our heart. Again, he allows us to be tested and tried. And when we are seeing things about ourselves that we don't appreciate, we get ashamed. We, we feel like less worthy. Peter felt unworthy to continually being a disciple of Jesus. So we're in good company. You know, he went out and wept bitterly, but that didn't take away his shame. That didn't take away his feelings of disconnected, feeling like, hey, I betrayed the very person I loved. The very person I felt like I had this performance, um, 
you know, good track record building up that it just all got blown away when he said, no, I don't, I don't know who he is. No, I'm not, a, I'm not from Galilee. No. And he began to curse and to swear. And then, you know, Jesus gives him that look. Oh, that look. We know Jesus can look at us and love us. And, but that look just reminded him of how he had betrayed the one he loved. Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Are you going through that testing? Are you wishing it to be over? 1 Peter 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised by or at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I don't know about you. It says... Don't be surprised. It says, don't think like it's strange. I tell you, when I'm getting fired, when I'm getting tested, it feels strange to me. My soul wants to feel God's presence all the time. My soul wants to get through every difficulty. It wants to experience constant joy, constant answers to prayer, constant victory. But the reality is there's a deep work going on. The salvation of my soul and the strengthening of my character and the strengthening of my new man, my new nature, by the Holy Spirit. And so I have to go through different things. But reading scriptures like this are deep truths that help us to hang on when we don't feel like God is with us, or we don't understand the circumstances we find ourselves in. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see, check me out, if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I've been saying the last couple weeks, too, that Isaiah, I think it's 55, um, 8 and 9, that God says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. And we go through different things and because of our certain knowledge or ability we have or what we've past experience with God, we kind of think we understand his ways. But as we're going through things, we realize, I don't really understand your ways, God. But his ways are everlasting. And as we ask God really to search our hearts, to try our motives, to really test out and and see, are we really going God's way or are we doing religious service? Are we acting like Christians because we know it's the right thing to do? And yes, we want eternal life, but am I really letting God have this total way in my life? It's great to pray this prayer every so often. God, search me. God, am I in denial about the way my soul would take me? Am I vulnerable to a temptation toward to something that's going to take me out and take me down a road that's going to take me a long time to come back from? In John 21, let's talk about Peter a little bit more. John 21, 15 through 17. Again, this is that time where Peter is eating breakfast with Jesus. Jesus cooked him a little fish, a little cake. They caught a big catch of fish, and they're sitting around that fire of coals, which reminded Peter of the last fire he had been around with Jesus when he betrayed him. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, every time Jesus asked that, it was penetrating the hardness of his heart. It was penetrating the walls that he had built up. Walls protecting himself from Jesus because he felt so ashamed of who he was. Again, notice Jesus is not condemning him in any way. He's not saying, you shouldn't have done that. I told you. I told you you were going to betray me and you said you wouldn't. Jesus says none of that. Jesus is bringing Peter from that place of failure and he's commissioning him. You know, I'm sure that Peter had to feel ashamed and unworthy like he could never serve him. But you notice how Jesus moves him from that place of shame and how he was feeling into commissioning him to go and serve and minister and preach the gospel. Sometimes the enemy keeps us in feeling down and feeling bad about ourselves, feeling bad about our relationships or maybe even in our marriages, things we said the wrong things or whatever. And really, we're supposed to ask forgiveness, give forgiveness, and just move on. There's a work of extending the kingdom of God. There's a work of grace that can only be benefited if we walk in it and if we give it out. If we've searched our heart and if we're sorry for our sins, we're to move on. Just like Jesus gave Peter the opportunity. That's where Peter shifted from a shame-based thinking and from who knows how many years he would have had to sit. When would he ever feel good enough? He had to believe that forgiveness was there. He had to believe that that act that Jesus did by going to the cross set him so free that he didn't have to wallow around in shame and self-pity and then just give up because he couldn't be good enough. But he, was, he had to go and begin to walk out the gospel by being used by Jesus to feed others. And that's what snapped him out of that oppression and discouragement. That's what snapped him out of his shame. That's what snapped him out of uh, the past. And really, if our mind is not renewed, if we really don't believe this Bible that we are forgiven, then the enemy has us and he can keep us from really growing and doing those things that God calls us to do as believers. And John, I think also 21, it's Jesus says, whoever sins you remit, they're remitted. That's a powerful a responsibility he puts on us that we can go tell people your sins are forgiven. When people confess our, their sins to us or when they're, they're uh, dealing with something and we bring them the message of the gospel, we're actually being an extension of the Holy Spirit and God's grace and we grant that forgiveness of their sins. We release people from powerful bondage of guilt and shame when we t- teach and train and give them the good news of the gospel. Here's a little quote I made up. We know that we are forgiven when the person we've betrayed invites us to go and represent him. That's what Jesus did. Come on, let's go do it, Peter. There's a whole world that's get saved. Here's our key verse for today. It's 2 Timothy 3.16.
this verse is a, a verse, and this verse really covers and kind of opens up. It's like the the preamble to the Constitution, where it's kind of like a highlight of all that's ours in our inheritance. Paul wrote to Timothy, Every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration, and profitable. I mean, that's inheritance. Profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline in obedience and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose, and action. You know, Hebrews 12, the whole chapter is talking about being corrected. It says, you know, when we had fathers, you know, for a season, you know, they corrected us in, in ways that were trying to get us to go the way that we should go or the way they thought we should go. But how the word of God and how Jesus Christ, how he brings correction to us because he has more inheritance to get to us. And when we're not following him all the way or when we're not really embracing the all the word of God, we're being ripped off in the inheritance God has for us. He has a richer inheritance. He has a greater inheritance for each one of us, but it's only part, partaken of by us as we let God's word come in and let the Holy Spirit bring revelation of that word in our lives. And when we let God build the experience of that word in our heart, that it would move past what we hear and past what we read. And, you know, there's so many times we read the same scriptures over and over. So many times you endure, he, endure hearing me tell you the same verses, especially when we, we're doing like these series. But these words are powerful. And though they may come into your mind or into your uh, thinking or before your eyes or in your ears a hundred times, it's profound when what you hear over and over again drops down in here and you get it. And it's like you realize, I don't know, something just happened that has never happened before where it becomes alive. It becomes now part of who you are. And you don't have to even memorize anymore, but there's a truth that your spirit grabs a hold of and then God can begin to release a fruit from that that revelation that you've received. Another scripture that really goes really close with that key scripture is 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm reading it out of the Amplified. Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Approved and tested. There's a deep humility comes over us when we begin to say, God, search my heart. God, look at me. When we take a few minutes to begin to talk like that, I don't know about you, but you could feel my emotions this morning. It's getting to my heart. The realization that I've got to break down those resistances. I've got to break down the hardness. You know, again, like those leaves that can collect every day over my heart the distractions, the disappointments that come. How quickly when you're disappointed, you're on the road, you're feeling God, you, you see a, a promise or you receive a promise, and then the discouragement comes, how quickly we can shut down and step back and how quickly our heart can get hardened and we begin to doubt the very promises that are going to carry us through each day of our lives and, and give us hope and allow us to have a measure of excitement. 
you know God chooses your inheritance for you just like, you know, you're genetically designed by how God gave you the genes from your parents and, you know, some of you may be happy with your parents or some of you may not be, but you're in God's design. It's just, you're, you're a, a, vis, a visual representation and picture of just one aspect of the inheritance you got from God. Psalms 47.4, he chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. I want to give you that little section about the sower. And you know, when you share the gospel with someone, you're like the sower. And when the Holy Spirit takes the words that you speak, the Holy Spirit becomes the sower through you. There's a lot of different aspects of, of being a sower. Uh, verse 14, it says, the sower sows the word. Verse 15 goes on, the ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts. But when they hear, Satan comes at once, and by force he takes away the message which is sown in them. And in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy. And they have no real root in themselves, and so they endure for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended because become displeased, indignant, and resentful, and they stumble and fall away. And the ones sown among thorns are those who hear the word. Then the cares and the anxieties of the world and the distractions of this age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving of passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the word that we read about all scripture given to us is for inspiration and, and is to cause us to grow. We see also that Satan comes to steal the word. Then we see we're living in an environment that totally attacks the word, attacks our faith, it attacks our resolve to serve God or be committed to a body or be committed to, uh, to each other or be committed to use our gifts. There's a constant pressure against us. And even as we move closer to the end, it talks about going to be a falling away of people where they're just going to say, well, I don't even see the need for this anymore. Why? The enemy is stealing the seed of God's word. The enemy is trying to steal everything that God's trying to get into our heart, everything the Holy Spirit's trying to reinforce in our spirit and grow us spiritually and have our soul in this place where it's coming under our spirit. There's an all-out assault against our faith. There's an all-out assault against our Christian character because God wants us to be fruitful. Mark 4.20 And those sown on good, well-adapted soil are the ones who hear the word and receive and accept and welcome it and bear fruit. Well-adapted soil. What does that mean? That you're plowing like, God, search my heart. God, is there a place in me where I'm just pretending? Is there a place in me where I'm not receiving your word? That's how we cooperate with God and allow the word to get in our heart when we use the word to allow to plow ourselves up, to examine our heart, to not be in this place where we're lukewarm and we're just calcifying in our relationship and, and, and we're so drained and died, 
we're ready to just step away from it all. We've got to keep the word before us. We've got to keep our heart tendered. Why? That we might bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, some 30 as much as sown, some 60 as much as sown, and even 100 times. In all, all of John, I think it's John 15, isn't it, about abiding in the vine and being fruitful? Think of it. So many things we've done. I mean, I'm looking back at my life. I'm 61 years old. I look back at 28 and a half years working at an aerospace company. It doesn't even exist anymore. They tore up everything that was there. Every building, every road, everything's gone. Most of the rockets that were made are gone. Everything we put our life into in this on this temporal earth, everything that draws away our attention, draws away our desire, draws away our focus is temporal. I don't know about you, but at 61, I don't want to be a 20 or 30. God, I've been asking, God, let me be a hundredfold. God, let me produce fruit for you that, that covers everything that you have for me to do. God, let me inherit all, all my inheritance. God, let me not get on the other side and have regrets. God, let not my flesh be in a place where it distracts me and keeps me from being fruitful. We can't make fruit happen on our own. But as we simply submit our heart and and let the word of God do its work, let the Holy Spirit have its way in our life, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, you're going to be irritated about what, what he wants you to do when you want to go a different way. But I tell you, if you hang on and let God change you, let God adapt you, let God correct you, let God send you on the, dire- on the avenue in the direction he wants you are going to bear fruit. You're going to be bear much fruit. And just like John 15 says, so shall you be my disciple. I would that you bear much fruit. Maybe you can read that this week, John 15. Anybody here want to be an underachiever? No, we're always encouraging our kids to get to learn more, to be better than we were, to, to gain more than we've got. We, we want them to have a bigger bank account than we, than we have. We want them to have, uh, you know, healthier kids, more kids. But the passivity of our age is robbing some of our young people and some of our older people of the ability to achieve. It's coming against our will. Even to be fruitful, again, think of it. If enemy can get our soul in a place of passivity, inactivity, discouragement, then he's got us in a place where we won't, we won't be interested in bearing fruit. We'll be interested in just hanging on and saying, okay, God, I just i am going to give up and hopefully I'm going to make it to the other side. No, he's made us to be overcomers. And it doesn't take much digging and plowing for us to be able to shake ourselves and in a moment feel our spirit saying, yeah, I can't live like this. I can't remain in this kind of attitude. No, I'm made to be an overcomer. It doesn't take much for each of us to encourage ourselves in the Lord and to be excited about what he wants to do in our life. Matthew Henry made a comment about bearing fruit in Mark 20. He used the two words, grace and duty. Grace being the fruits of the Spirit, seen in the character and in the change of our lives. Duty, uh, making ourselves, like even how you're all here today. How many, how many made yourself come today? Be honest. Let me put my hand up too. I made myself come today. I didn't want to come. Up until the moment I got up, I didn't want to speak today. I didn't think I had a word today. 
we are all facing spiritual resistance and it's increasing and increasing because Jesus said it was going to increase as the days get closer to the end. There's going to be more resistance in us serving God, more resistance in us coming together to worship. The worship team, they spend a lot of time practicing for us. They come here early. They pray. They practice. They set up that atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can come and minister to us, where we can have the oil coming into our lives. We need each other more than we've needed anything. God wants this church to be fit, to be fruitful. We're coming up on our 14-year anniversary, and I've been saying, God, there are things you've said about this church. You said to us back in 1989 that you were going to set up a superstructure, a pr- productive ministry. We've gone through so many losses and stuff when we thought different people were God was going to use to rise up and be, do productive ministry here, and we've been stripped and we've been pruned. And I know that word that he said is going to be true. I know that this church is going to grow up more. It's going to do more. The people are going to be stronger. They're going to be more full with the Holy Spirit. They're going to know their gifts. They're going to know how to walk in unity. They're going to know how to walk in God's ways and walk in forgiveness. And they're going to be filled with God's gifts. And they're going to use those gifts. Another part of the fruit of the Spirit is 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts of the Spirit, that's the fruit in who we are. You know, Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance, you know, self-control. Those are the fruits of the evidence of God working on our character. But there's another part of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is the activity of the Holy Spirit through this vessel that He's allowed to grow that uses the gifts of the Spirit that are there. And, and as we nurture and, and are re- become resident, they begin to come out of us. We are going to extend next Wednesday. And, you know, it may seem like, oh, well, who knows? Excuse me, if one person comes to the Lord... This girl, I've been dealing with this girl. I don't even know she's here. Two and a half, two years ago, she got accepted to the Lord at the Wednesday, the downtown farmer's market thing. And she was in my office the other day. She's growing. She's making steps. She's moving through things. Her son, you know, we died. Sai died this last year. You know what? God is causing fruit to happen in people's lives. God wants to use you. I tell you, you want to get excited about life. You want to get excited more than what's on TV and more of the things you're trying to find the fulfillment of your soul. When you see someone that you're talking to begin to respond to the Lord and you begin to see their life grow and change. Thank you for you people in this church who are working with people and you're faithful and you're, you're counseling and you're, you're giving and you're extending yourself. Thank you because you are producing fruit. I guess the worship team can come up. I don't know if I want to be done. Let me give you another verse. This is Mark 4.22. Our inheritance is hidden in the Word. You know how you, kid, how you moms, you like to let your kids go out and do the Easter egg hunting? Come on, you like to put the eggs out there and you see the excitement of your kids going out there? Jesus, God is just the same way. He, Jesus says this, Things are hidden temporarily only as a means to revelation. For there is nothing hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything temporarily kept secret except in order that it may be made known. Maybe there's something that's just kind of bugging you, and God is really trying to use that to initiate you to really press in and seek him out. Really to dig in there and and, and just wrestle with him a little bit. God, why? 
I need to know why. God, I need to know about this situation. God, I need to know about my inheritance. And so, so you're, you even put aside some time. You eat, maybe even will skip a meal and you're, you're just going to get somewhere where it's just you and God and you're going to wrestle with them. And you're going to determine and find out, God, show me, show me. Maybe it's about your own self. God, why am I like I am? God, maybe it's a weakness that, do, that was said even in that prophetic time about you know, changing something, getting out of a sin or getting out of a habit that you're stuck in where, where you say, I'm going to surrender this thing. That, this is enough. 